Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd. I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me again is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate, our trading and research guru here at the Rudd Company. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-responsored retirement plans. Jack, before we jump into, I think we're talking about bond investing today, right? Yes, we are. Why don't you take our listeners into the trading room with you uh, over the last month and update them on what you've been seeing. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me back on the podcast today. It's been a busy couple weeks here, and I'm excited to give some market updates to our listeners and talk about some bonds. I know that this is a topic that really excites us, and it is one of the many things I think we do really well at the Rudd Company. For our market headlines, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the attack on the Saudi Arabian oil supply over the weekend. We don't have to go too much into details of this attack or any geopolitical tensions that may arise, but I wanted to talk about this from an investment perspective. Oil prices initially increased over $60 a barrel, but have moved back below 60 for the time being as Saudi Arabia announced that they have already recovered about half the supply they lost. As you know, Josh, the energy sector has underperformed the market this year, but this news did give the sector a little bit of a boost over the last couple of days. Do you see this as anything more than a short-term supply shock? Or do you have any comments on the energy sector as we head into the fourth quarter this year? Yeah, that was big news, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We had the oil and gas market just going crazy yesterday, and we get back a little bit today from what I what I saw. But your question was about short-term versus long-term. I, I truly believe that the incident itself is really a short-term issue. So, yeah, of course, it's going to affect supply probably on a, a much smaller basis than we are uh, realizing right now. But it's not going to be something that's really changing our strategy in the trading room at this time. I believe one of the most interesting things to consider is just how that entire sector has underperformed recently. And when you have a real sleepy sector like this, where there hasn't been a lot of disruption, it's not that this issue was small, but something like this can really create a lot of uh, change in that sector. And we were positioned because that we were positioned pretty well, simply because that sector was just underpriced in our opinion. And so your question was about short-term versus long-term. I really don't see any long-term impact. I will make a point, though. I believe it shows just the instability of the region and some challenges in the world right now, uh, just with that asset class and commodities in general. I mean, there's, you know, 7 billion people on the planet that are, you know, trying to use limited resources. And so I think you're going to continue to see, I think that there's continued risk like that, not just in that sector, but uh, other commodities as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the risk there. I do think we could see some more volatility in that sector specifically. As I'm going through our sector research for the quarter, I've noticed some interesting performance trends in 2019. During our last podcast, you talked about the strength of the U.S. consumer and how you were actually surprised that the consumer has continued to be resilient, even with more volatility. In my opinion, this is clearly reflected in the stock market. The consumer discretionary, staples, and technology sectors have all been outperforming the market this year. What do all of these sectors have in common? They are all heavily reliant on consumer spending. Do you see any opportunities in these sectors still, or are there any other opportunities on the top of mind, perhaps in a different sector? 
Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up that point. So just to comment generally on, on consumers, I want to go back a long time ago. I gosh, it's probably been a, a decade or so. One of my favorite economists, uh, Dr. David Kelly, made a comment one time about the consumer. Uh, this is after the financial crisis where you know he was asked whether or not the consumer was running out of rope. And, and his response was, you know, that old quote that in, in America, our business is business. You know, he responded by saying that the consumer, you know, we manufacture rope in this country. So the consumer uh, is very strong, uh, has really long legs as far as what they're capable of. And when you look at the savings rate, uh, you know, folks get paid and, and they spend money. Now, there's a lot of new products and services out there. Uh, we're incredible and uh, just amazing innovators in this country. And you're seeing that not only from, you know, products uh, that we talked about on our last call, you know, the real innovative set-top boxes and, and ride-sharing, uh, but you're seeing that in pharma and some other areas. I mean, it's just incredible the innovations going on. So, no, uh, that's, you know, I know it's uh, said all the time that, you know, the consumer's, you know, two-thirds of the economy, and it is, and, and but it's it's just a fact we can't ignore. So uh, I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Plus, we're coming up to the end of the year, and I don't know about you, but I've got some Christmas presents to buy. Yeah, those are uh, definitely starting to come into the picture. The one thing I wanted to add was the healthcare sector. I know we discuss in the trading room the aging population in the U.S. and are constantly looking for companies who are well positioned to capitalize on the increasing demand for healthcare services in the country. All right, my final market headline will be a good segue into our topic today. We talked a lot in our last podcast about how low bond yields, both in the U.S. and international bond markets, but we didn't really touch too much on how bond portfolios have actually performed. In 2019, a typical bond portfolio is almost doubling its average yearly return over the last 10 years, which is certainly good news for all income-oriented investors. Being in the market every day like myself, I can tell you that even bond traders are having trouble believing how much bond prices have appreciated this year. Care to comment on bond performance compared to historical trends? Oh, it's been incredible recently, hasn't it? The the performance we've seen year-to-date in bond portfolios really looks more like a standard stock portfolio performance and it's been it's been truly remarkable i will say just cautionary to those of you i mean I know we're going to talk about bonds in a little bit but i will tell you just that bond performance and especially the bond performance we've seen recently when you see bond prices increase and and interest rates fall to the levels that they are today especially when you see you know sub 2% rates on the on the 10 year and and the 30-year, I, I believe, somewhere around two and a quarter. A lot of that performance you've seen in the first nine months of the year is is really performance that we've stolen from uh, future time. And you know, normally I would say in a in a normal interest rate environment that we could make some changes on the portfolio and, and mitigate that quite a bit. But with interest rates falling as low as they are, you know, a six or seven or eight percent performance on a bond portfolio for the first nine months of the year may seem great, but what do you do with the interest, Jack? You're now at two percent or one and a half going forward. So it's it's very challenging, I think, for those that live on a on a fixed income and that use bonds in general uh, with interest rates this low, and and it could present them some challenges. So yes, incredible performance year to date, but. I believe it really challenges us moving forward, which is why I think uh, we can add a lot of value in this type of environment for investors. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that challenge. That's something I definitely wanted to bring up and something we'll go into as we go through this podcast today. 
Hey, Jack, uh, real quick, before we move on into bonds, you know, it was, it was pretty it was pretty hard. I, I normally like to find something funny in these podcasts um, that's more themed with our topic today. Uh, but it was pretty it's pretty tough. Bonds are uh, bonds are pretty boring, Jack. They're pretty boring for us to find uh, anything humorous in there. But I, I did come up with something. Those of you who know me well know that I have a pretty big family and I've got a teenage boy in the house right now that's eagerly expecting his his first car here in the next few weeks. And I, I did come up with something. Do you know what the difference is between a teenage boy and a long-term government bond? What? I think that the long bond will eventually mature at some point. <laughs> well, Josh, bonds are pretty boring, but you made an okay joke and a big improvement from last time, I have to say. Well, I, I appreciate that. So let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and move on. So uh, what are we talking about today? So as I mentioned earlier, I was really excited when we chose this topic today because I believe that constructing bond portfolios is one of our biggest strengths. Today, we want to give a basic overview of how bonds work and how we use bonds at the Rudd Company to generate tax-efficient income for all of our clients. I know it may seem simple, but before we begin, Josh, can you please explain what a bond is and how it works? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's actually good. So you know, a lot of people talk about bonds and and may uh, may think they're they're pretty simple, but they're really they're really just based on math. They're pretty elegant securities, and they are much easier, in my opinion, to value than say an individual stock and and other types of investments. So, really, in its simplest form, a bond is is just a loan. Uh, so, a good way to remember this is that. Most investments, Jack, can be put into two categories. So when we think about investments, uh, you see you got two buckets, right? We have an unowned bucket and we have a loan bucket. So uh, stocks would fall into ownership, right? So a stock is actually a uh, piece of a company. You, know, you own a piece of a company and, and you're considered a, a passive owner. A bond is really just a loan. It's a loan to a person or a government or an institution. And, you know, Jack, a good way that I think our investors and listeners can identify a bond pretty easy, it's just kind of a simple thing and it rhymes. It's easy to remember. If it's got a rate and a date, it's probably a bond. So if you walk in, I'll give you an example to your local bank. Uh, this has happened to, to our investors several times. And you have a little bit too much money in your checking account. I don't know if y'all been through this before, but the personal banker is going to come around from behind the desk and they're going to want to talk to you and try to get you to invest your money in something. And they're going to talk about it, all types of investments. But in general, they're going to give you a rate and a date. And you know what that means, Jack? What? They want to borrow your money. So that's really what a bond is. So you're just loaning you're just loaning money out. So you said loan and own and rate and date. Josh, I have to say, I wish you were my bond professor <laughs> in college. It's an easy way to explain it. So now that we have a basic understanding of how bonds work, Let's talk about types of bonds that investors may come across in their portfolios. I mentioned earlier that we are always trying to generate tax-efficient income for our clients. Can you talk about specific bond types that help us generate this tax-efficient income in different types of investment accounts? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. So the the objective most people think of when they think of bonds, you know, we talked about rate and date earlier. The rate part is just to earn interest, right? So you implied some tax benefits on some bonds. So uh, before we get to some of the more tax efficient uh, bonds out there, let's just talk about who the largest issuer is out there. So the largest issuer out there that we're, we see is the United States government, or you all may know these as, as treasury bonds. You've got you know, T-bills and, 
and all types of instruments out there. And, and virtually, if you want to go out and you want to buy a bond that issue or that matures at a certain time, you can pretty much find it because there's just so much of it out there. So now that we've got that uh, behind us, let's jump into to the bonds that are that are a little more attractive from a rate perspective. So a lot of what we also do here is uh, buy bonds issued by corporations. All right. So we talked about loaning someone money. So these are simply just loans to corporations and you find them packaged up as a bond in different denominations. So let's say you invest $10,000 in a bond issued by XYZ Corporation. That could be a large industrial technology retail company. These are all names, Jack, that you know, and it's going to pay you interest twice a year. And going back to the rate and date, it's going to have a stated rate on it. Sometimes they're variable, but in most cases, they have a stated rate, and they have a time that they mature, uh, hopefully like my teenage son will, uh, where you'll get your money back. (laughs) So the last uh, security that that I'll mention that you implied is a municipal bond. So you know what a municipality is, Jack? Yes, I do. Yeah, so uh, I, I live in a town called Alito, Texas, and we have a a great football team out there and an enormous football stadium, an enormous high school football stadium. And so when a, when a Texas town wants to build a football stadium, how do you think they raise the money to do that? They issue a bond. Absolutely. So those of you listening, you may have had to go vote on a bond for something in your uh, local area, uh, for something like a football stadium or a school uh, or something else. So that's how municipalities, cities, towns, uh, states even, uh, raise raise capital. So they're going to borrow from you, the investor. And what's really what are some really cool things about uh, about the income from those bonds? For municipal bonds, the income may be tax free. Yeah, so that's one of the one of the very unique things, and really how we can we can really add value, and, uh, and investors can look for depending on your tax bracket and the state that you live in and the circumstances. You might be, as Jack said, you might be able to get a little tax advantage from that income coming in, and that's something that's not uh, usually the case on on the corporate bonds and and the uh, United States Treasury, the regular government bonds that we talk about. So, Jack, I think that that's a pretty good example of the the types of bonds that are going to be the most common for most investors, and and not all the bonds that we trade, but the bonds that we're going to see most often. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate you defining at the end there. Um, the tax-efficient income that I referred to earlier in the podcast. So one question investors often ask is, how much exposure should I have to bonds? I know this is a difficult question to answer because all investors are different, but what factors influence the percentage of fixed income an investor should have in an investment portfolio? Is it risk tolerance, age, or maybe a combination of a few different factors? Well, that's a really important question. So one thing that you're in question, your question implies is that we're looking at a portfolio of investments. Is that correct? Yes. So, and the reason I'm making that point will become a, apparent pretty quick. Well, it really depends on several factors, but first off, it's pretty important to know how bonds impact an investor's portfolio as a whole. So one of the things that I want to use as an example that really helps investors understand this is, you know, I have a I have a friend of mine that's really into sailing, and one of the things that we've talked about uh, several times is the part of the boat called a keel, which is underneath the boat. And you know, one of the things that 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 keel provides a lot of stability uh, to the boat when it's moving forward. And, you know, it's real similar uh, how bonds work. And, and as I've often told our investors and, and clients here, 
bonds in a portfolio really their primary function is is for two things. I mean, they they accomplish two things in a portfolio. One is they they can help uh, enhance income. So bonds historically, I know interest rates are, are pretty low right now, but bonds historically have been a really good source for income in a portfolio. So for example, if you have a portfolio of stocks, uh, the interest rate of the S&P 500, I believe right now, is, is just below 2%. Uh, excuse me, the yield on the S&P 500 is just below 2%. In the past, you've been able to enhance that by putting fixed income securities or bonds into a portfolio. So enhancing income is a big thing. The second thing, and I, I really think about that keel when I think about this, is the bonds are going to help the portfolio dampen volatility. It's not a perfect correlation, but when you think about what they are and what they do and the different types of individuals that buy bonds, you can see how when things aren't going really well in the stock market, bonds might be very attractive, not because of the capital gains that people think they're going to get from them, but because they, they promote stability. When you think about sitting on that sailboat and you're in high winds and it's really tough to keep that boat moving forward, you're probably pretty glad you have that keel down there. Uh, keeping that boat stable moving forward. So that's one thing that I think really um, really paints a good picture of, of mechanically how bonds work in a portfolio and the value that they provide. So that's what, his, that's what uh, portfolio managers have historically used bonds for. When you consider bonds as a tool based on these two objectives, it becomes much easier to consider how much bond exposure you want in the portfolio, Jack. So you've got to think about those factors that I talked about earlier. So what's the objective for the money that you're investing? So, for example, are we trying to generate income? Are we planning for a child or a grandchild's college? There's different things we need to think about. What's the objective? If we're looking at trying to grow the portfolio through principal capital gains, bond's not going to, bond's not going to have as much chance to do that as an equity uh, position or a stock position is going to have. You also need to think about your time horizon. And, and the reason I bring this up is, is if you're investing longer than 10 years, you need to think about one real important thing. Investors should consider that while that bond is sitting there in your portfolio, have you ever heard of something called inflation? Yeah, I think so. So the $10,000 that you get back from the issuer after 10 or 15 or 20 years, that $10,000 is going to be worth less than when you put it in. So again, you really need to think about your time horizon. I'm not saying that if you have over 10 years to invest, you shouldn't own bonds. Uh, I've got more 10 years, more than 10 years to invest, and I love bonds and own, own plenty myself. But you just need to consider that. Again, what's the objective for the money that you're investing? The third one I want to mention, this is very important for all of our listeners and clients to understand, is if you have any unplanned or you need immediate access to the principal and things come up, bonds are a lot more difficult and a lot less liquid to sell and to uh, cash in, if you will, than an equity investment. And so I'll give you an example. If some of you are either, if some of you are driving, don't get on your phone, but if you're at your computer and you pull up you know, one of the financial or one of the search engines that has a financial component to it and you, you, know, you put in XYZ stock, you can get a quote right then. But it's interesting if you try to put in a quote for a bond, uh, there's just not uh, not a ready market available for most investors to go sell an investment. So when you have uh, when you have those unplanned 
emergencies or you need uh, immediate access to your principal, that's something that you need to think about with bond investing. Um, really, the last is, is more related to the objectives uh, on, on the, the early on there, the objectives of what you're going to use the money for. Do you need current income from the money that you're investing? So that's, that's really important. Again, if, if you're going to invest this money for over 10 years and you don't need current income, um, you should really think about other types of investments as a primary tool to reach those goals and objectives. So when you're considering how much bond exposure to have in a, in a portfolio, I would caution you against using some predetermined rule for asset allocation. I know that when I first started in this business, Jack, uh, you know, take 100 and subtract your age uh, was a way that a lot of financial advisors would come up with how much stock exposure you have. Our firm, we, we're going to use several factors like the things that I mentioned above in trying to customize uh, a recommendation based on a client's financial objectives and situation. Again, going back and walking through and considering each objective, time horizon, your need for cash, and whether or not you need current income is going to impact how much money we're going to recommend to have in bonds in the portfolio. Thanks, Josh. I'm glad you gave that answer and gave a few different factors. I know that that was kind of what I was trying to get at with my question itself. So another question I often hear is when rates are low, people say, but rates are so low now, wouldn't it be better to wait to invest when rates go up? How would you respond to someone asking you this? Yeah, this one's, uh, we get this all the time, especially when we're, we're discussing fixed income investments like bonds with clients. And, and again, just to go back, what the objectives are, you know, you're trying, usually when you're buying a bond, you're using it to dampen volatility or, or enhance income or earn income off a portfolio. So let's look at the situation right now. We have really low interest rates, Jack, in the market. Yep. So a lot of investors may be thinking, my gosh, you know, I'd just rather sit in the bank until, until rates improve. Why would I want to get 3% on a five, let's just say, you know, two, 3% on a five-year note when I can just sit and wait for rates to get a little better. Well, first of all, we discussed on the last podcast that it's not looking like rates are going to go up anytime soon. So we've got a lot of pressure on rates at these levels, uh, downward pressure on rates at these levels. So that's something that should be considered as well. The second is really just the opportunity cost that you lose by sitting in cash and let me give you an example, and this is something I learned uh, when I started driving and, and got married, and, and I used to get really frustrated by traffic. And, you know, I'd sit there in the house, and I'd, you know, traffic jam every day on the way to work, right? And you sit there and you wonder, you know, if I wait a little bit for traffic to get a little better, um, I'm, you know, it, it makes me happier, right? Because I get to drive at a faster speed, and, and I'm not quite as annoyed by all the stop and go. And my gosh, I look out there, Jack, and traffic's moving so slow. And, and then, you know, then my wife made a very, uh, she made a very compelling argument. She said, you know what? If you wait, you're going to get there later, right? Yep. And I said, so, yeah, that's true. But I like driving and I like going at a faster speed. But then I'm just sitting at home doing nothing, waiting for traffic to get better. And, and, and that's a lot like what in, waiting to invest in higher interest rates is. So if you could buy a a 3% bond for five years, let's say it's $100,000 and you're getting $3,000 a year. Do you know how long it's going to take that guy who's waiting two or three years for rates to go up to catch up with you? Maybe a while. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the point that we're making. I mean, bonds are purchased to generate income and sitting in cash 
is not usually the best solution. We actually have a strategy that we use here at the Rudd Company that's uh, pretty simple that can help us with folks, or it can help with folks that want to uh, have that desire to wait to invest to rates that get a little better. Uh, that keeps the capital working and generating income, uh, even in a low interest rate environment. Thanks, Josh. And I think another lesson to learn there is that you should always listen to your wife. Am I right? Absolutely. All right. Before we wrap up our conversation on bonds, I wanted to talk about our bond strategies and selection process at the Rudd Company. This is our podcast, so we have to talk about us a little bit, right? Oh, absolutely. Can you explain in more detail the bond ladder strategy that we use and the advantages of this type of strategy? Oh, Jack, uh, I'd be happy to do that. So a bond ladder is just a very basic but effective tool in portfolio design. As we talked about earlier, it can be used to help with the opportunity cost uh, and also sensitivity to rising and falling interest rates. And it's just very simple. So instead of taking that entire principal amount that we talked about earlier and investing it in one bond in a 5, 10, 15, or 30-year time horizon or maturity, we can actually break that up into several pieces and have parts of that principal or parts of that portfolio coming due on a more frequent basis. And, and Jack, what that allows us to do is focus our attention on the areas of the yield curve that we think present some opportunity. And it also really helps with cash flows for our customer. When you think about uh, investors' needs, some of those that may not be known, so things come up and, and people have lives and a lot of investors are very reluctant to tie up their capital for a long period of time and and chase those longer interest rates. And, and one of the things I think that we do well at our firm is building in uh, many different types of liquidity and different layers of liquidity. So accessibility of their cash and Bond ladder is very old and basic, but as I mentioned earlier, it's just a it's just a great tool. It's a great tool for managing interest rate risk and and liquidity in our portfolios. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I'd like to add, you talked a lot about piecing up the $100,000. It also gives us the option to give the client some diversity in the types of bonds they owned in the account as well, rather than owning that one bond for $100,000. And finally, let's talk about how we add value managing bond portfolios. Aside from the latter strategy we just discussed, I think we add a lot of value with our multiple trading partners, our ability to bid bonds at lower prices, and just the overall fact that we are active every day in the market. Do you have anything to add to those? Oh, the, the pricing is a big thing, Jack, and I'm glad you brought that up because when you, when you think about bonds versus uh, just investing in stocks, and the value that an active portfolio manager brings to the table, a firm like ours where you're actually working with the, the folks that are managing your money as opposed to, you know, working with the salesperson that goes through the person that's managing your money is uh, just pricing and, and best execution. And, and for those of you who don't know really uh, how that works, uh, just a real simple example. So when we go out and when we purchase a bond, uh, in a lot of cases – uh, we may be going out and, and bidding a bond that somebody you know needs to sell and that they need to sell today, uh, and it's very similar to going out and buying an uh, you know let's say buying a car that someone needs to sell today. You're going to get a lot better price if you're buying that through a private party and the, they need to raise cash immediately than you are by going to a dealership, uh, something that's been traded and bought through the auction and and changed hands several times, there's going to be a lot of markup in that. Bonds are very similar. Uh, 
they, you know, we have the opportunity and relationships to go out and to offer cash that we have available to purchase assets at a little bit better pricing. And, and that's opposed to, you know, some of our competitors, you know, in the brokerage world that, you know, their trading desk are up in New York and they, you know, will go out and buy a bond and, and they'll get it at a great price and, and can maybe even do higher quantity than we can, but they've marked it up by the time it goes on to their inventory and that their salesperson is presenting to, to you, the investor. And then the salesperson's marking that bond an additional one or two points by the time it gets to you. So by the time we're actually, you're actually purchasing that bond, uh, the price is a lot higher. So, Jack, I'm really glad that, that you brought that up. I think the, the only thing that I would add in addition to that is that when we talk about uh, managing a, a portfolio, we're talking about managing an income portfolio. So we're going to have access to a lot of securities that um, that the you know regular investor trying to purchase investments through your standard online uh, retail firm um, is not going to have access to, or that may be very difficult to trade. So I know we've talked about bonds today, but in our income portfolio, uh, there are other securities out there. Uh, that do carry rates uh, and dates that we can get access to that just uh, the regular investor that's, uh, you know, going to the, going to work every day and, and focusing on other things uh, just doesn't have the time, the energy, the expertise to manage and, and do their self. So I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of value that we add. And I get excited about uh, about the bond market and, and just uh, income investments in general. Yeah, I agree. And thanks for touching on the, the non-bond portion of the income a little bit there. I think that's some good insight. So that's the last question I had. Did you want to talk about anything else in regards to bonds? No, I, I appreciate all of the uh, all of you that are listening today. i uh, just like to take a moment, as we did last time, to invite you, our investors and listeners, to share your comments and ideas for future topics of discussion on this program. Again, our goal in doing these is not just to inform, but to add value and to give our clients and, and, and investors guidance on topics relevant to them and in a simple and just easy-to-consume format. And we can only do that if, if we know what you want to hear. Uh, like Bonds, we'd love to hear you know other topics that are of interest to you. So please take some time throughout the month to send us a message through our website at therudcompany.com or send us an email uh, to Rudco, that's R-U-D-D-C-O, at therudcompany.com with your comments and suggestions. I know all of us here, including Jack and myself, would just we'd really appreciate hearing from you and love to hear your ideas. And in closing, I'd like to say thank you to all of our clients. All of us here at the Rudd Company have a passion for wealth management and helping high performers win, and, and that's achieve long-term financial success. Thank you very much for listening today. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.